So hello, listeners. Welcome back to the NBA Games of the Week podcast. My name is Kalen Osmond. I'm an amateur podcaster and all-around NBA fan, and this is a podcast where every Monday morning of the NBA season, I will highlight to you, the listeners, the NBA games you should look out for that week. If you'd like more information about the podcast or myself, go and check out episode zero for a fun little introduction about the show. So four quarters as usual this week, starting with the first quarter, which is for the newer NBA fans, or we're going to break down two games, starting with Paul George's first game against OKC, and then moving over to watch the NBA's first real test at the top of the West. And then on to the second quarter, which is for the more veteran NBA fans, where we're going to break down another two games, starting with an analysis on the Phoenix Suns for real defense, and then staying in the lab to watch the progress of Canada's estranged Suns, Andrew Wiggins' resurrection in Minnesota. Next up will be the third quarter, which is for the crazier NBA fans, where we're going to break down three games, starting with the Eric Paschal-led Golden State Warriors as they battle the tanking Grizzlies, and then on to watch Trey Young's quest to nutmeg every guard in the NBA. Then stick around for the fourth quarter to hear the two can't-miss games for this week of NBA action. We're going to take a quick break. Well, we'll be back with the first quarter. Welcome back to the first quarter, listeners, where I'm going to detail to you the games for the introductory NBA fan. These are going to be the more media and storyline-focused games for those trying to get into the NBA. First game we're going to start with is the Oklahoma City Thunder are playing at the Los Angeles Clippers on Monday, November 18th at 7.30 Pacific or 10.30 Eastern Standard Time. So the big reason I wanted to highlight this game is this is Paul George's first game back against Oklahoma City. Now, the game is not actually being played in Oklahoma City, so it won't be as emotionally charged. And the game won't happen until December 22nd. It's still a big game as the players exchange in the trade for Paul George were the highlights of the summer. So players like Danilo Gallinari and Shea Gillis-Alexander coming back to play against the Clippers is going to be pretty crazy. Especially for Shea Gillis-Alexander, who was kind of seen as the golden child for the Clippers. And even Chris Paul, to a lower extent, as he played so long in the Clippers and was part of their most recent playoff success. But I think his stop in Houston has definitely chilled those emotional ties. So just to start off to talk about Paul George's impact on the Clippers. Paul George set a franchise record the other night when they played against the Hawks, where he scored a combined 70 points in his first two games for the team. And in this game, the Clippers end up scoring, wait for it, 150 points. But yes, the Hawks are a bad team and specifically a bad defense, but 150 points is absolutely ridiculous. Where Paul George himself scored 37 points in about 20 minutes. So it's safe to say what I and a lot of NBA media have been saying so far is that Paul George is a game changer for the Clippers. Now I'm going to talk about Paul George and the Clippers more in depth in the next game of this quarter. So I'm actually going to move on for now, especially because this game is going to be a pretty comfortable win for the Clippers. And actually we'll just move on to OKC where the team is actually four and seven to start the season. It's a start that we expected so far with the wins coming against teams that you expect as well with the Pelicans, Magic and Warriors. And their actually fourth win was a pretty nice OT win against the 76ers, which is actually pretty crazy. The highlight to this start has definitely been Shea Gilgis-Alexander, where he's kind of stayed his efficient self, leading the team in scoring with just over 20 points a game. Besides having just about six rebounds a game, which is actually pretty nice for a shooting guard, the other stats aren't really coming in that much. He has a lot of time to develop those skills, specifically when you look at his assists from how much usage he has on the team and how much of his offense is on an ISO creator. You hope that he could create more offense for others where others uh, at least hitting open threes or finishing the play on a dunk. Especially with how athletic the Oklahoma City team is. 
with all their very young and very long and very athletic players like Alex Ferguson or Darius Baisley. But I definitely kind of give the reason that he hasn't developed those skills to the point where he plays alongside of Chris Paul, who's a ball-dominant ISO-generated player. So he basically runs the offense and then almost makes Shea Gillis-Alexander a secondary option. So as soon as Chris Paul either gets shut down later in the season, traded, so on and so forth, I can see Shea getting a lot more assists with the upwards trend in usage. As far as rebounds go, the five rebounds of the game are actually pretty nice. But once he stops playing with Steven Adams, if he ever does, because now that Russell Westbrook's gone, Steven Adams is able to actually capture the the rebounds he was creating because he's probably the best box out guy in the entire league. Now he's not gifting those rebounds to Westbrook. His rebound percentage and number has gone up exponentially. So back on Shea, I'm actually very excited to see what his return to the Clippers is going to be like. He, he's going to be matched up probably against Paul George as they're both shooting guards. So he's probably going to get locked down, but you never know. Shea is not a generational talent, but a player with superstar upside. So you can see that this kind of maybe becoming a shootout between Paul George and Shea down the stretch. And especially when it comes to garbage time where the Clippers start is going to be off the court, they might still put Shea in to kind of clean up against uh, lower end talent. And it's going to be fun to see how Paul George George plays against lower end teams because other superstars specifically LeBron James is the most egregious example of this definitely plays down to his competition where when you see him against the top end teams, specifically in the postseason he becomes a totally different player his defense is off the charge and his clutch scoring is record-breaking so it's gonna be really interesting to see how Paul George's style of play and effort changes against the lower end teams or the top of the end playoff teams and the last couple players I want to talk about on OKC is uh, Chris Ball and Danil Ganari, where they've kind of played as we expected. They're playing very well early on, Chris Paul specifically dominating uh, usage, but definitely taking advantage of the shots he's getting, scoring pretty efficiently. And then Danil Ganari doing exactly what he's always done, sitting on the side, shooting better than most players are on the court, not really creating that much impact or creating off the ball. And these guys are both huge reasons that the team's actually been competitive in a lot of these games, and they've been that fun to watch. So it's kind of good to take advantage of it now while it's early in the season before these two players either get traded or shut down when the full tank kind of comes into play once again this game is going down on monday november 18th at 7 30 pacific or 10 30 eastern standard time it's one of those games you definitely don't want to miss because the highlights are not going to be able to tell you the full story and now we're going to stay in los angeles at the staples center where the visiting houston rockets are going to play against the clippers on friday november 22nd at 7 30 pacific or 10 30 eastern standard time now, you don't want to miss the OKC game for a lot of the reasons I stated before, but if you really, really have to choose between the two games, choose this one. Definitely choose this game. The big reason is, so far in this season, the Clippers have not been full force. And as I stated before, Paul George is an absolute game changer for this team. So this can be the first real test for the top of the Western Conference with teams like the Clippers, the Lakers, and the Houston Rockets really kind of being the top three title contenders in the West with, with the rest of the four through kind of 10 positions all fighting for a runner-up. And even though the Clippers have played the Lakers and Houston Rockets so far, it really has not told the whole story because, just like I said before, Paul George hasn't been there. And given how big a di difference maker he is on both sides of the court, being an MVP candidate on the offensive end and being a defensive player of the year on the defensive end, the Clippers are basically a brand new team since last week. Just to outline the first game against the Rockets that the Clippers played, so the Houston Rockets came out swinging with a 31-point first quarter, and the lead never really went away after that. James Harden scored... Uh, the game high 47 points with 17 chances from the line where he scored 16 free throws 
And what's even crazier kind of about the whole thing, he basically single-handedly drove the whole Clippers starting lineup into the negative for their plus-minus rating. Besides Patrick Beverly, who was actually plus seven on the game, and according to multiple sources, was actually perfect when he was the primary guard on James Harden. Now, he got a little lucky with James Harden missing some pretty close floaters that he would usually knock down, but still, having James Harden go up for 47 points and score zero points on you when you were the primary guard on him for a lot of the game is incredible. So now, how does this matchup change with Paul George? Well, actually, the biggest thing is that he is a primary defender now on James Harden, with them both being shooting guards. And if we move to the offensive side, he is the perfect complementary player to Kawhi Leonard. He's a willing off-ball player, as we saw last year with OKC, and he's very adept at knocking down open threes. If we look at his three-point percentage from uh, from the 2014-15 season until now, his percentage has been 41%, 37%, 39%, 40%, 39% again, and now 56% this season. Granted, this season, I think, is the one that counts the least because it's only been two games. If you're Kawhi Leonard and you have someone on the wing who is knocking down more than half his three-pointers, that just completely changes your spacing, where Kawhi Leonard is now able to even advance more than he has so far his mid-range game, which has absolutely been unstoppable. It slowed down recently, I think because of, of all the shots he's had to take from carrying this offense. Now with having to choose with your primary defender to either choose Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, one or both of these players are going to benefit from that. Next, you can now give Paul George the primary assignment on defense and let Kawhi Leonard roam around like LeBron or Draymond have in past seasons. So what this means is that let's say we put Paul George onto James Harden. Then you would put Kawhi Leonard on a non-three-point threat. A re good example of this is when they put Draymond Green on, on Andre Robertson when, when OKC was the top of the West team. And Andre Robertson basically shot 0% from three. So Draymond kind of chose to let Andre Robertson shoot as many open threes as he wants. And that allowed Draymond Green to kind of double team or have help defense, create steal opportunities, fast breaks, whenever he could. It's almost like playing six on five every offensive possession. Or I guess a better example, a better way of saying that is it's like playing four on five every defensive possession where the defense has an extra defender every trip down the court. And the third part that really compliments Kawhi Leonard is that Paul George is an incredible iso ball creator in his own right. So if Kawhi Leonard is kind of getting shut down or is not feeling it tonight, he can just go over, pass the ball off to Paul George, sit in the corner and watch Paul George work. And right now, early in the season, he looks unstoppable where he can have step back threes. He can drive to the hoop. He's incredibly athletic, so he can finish around the rim at extremely high rates. And when it comes to down in the last couple of minutes in clutch time, Paul George is a cold-blooded finisher. So now if we move to Houston. So the biggest thing I want to highlight besides Harden's 47 points is that in the first game, Westbrook had another Westbrook game. So he was 6 of 20 from the field and only had four free throws. So he's being incredibly inefficient and really not making up for it by getting to the line. And the worst part is when Westbrook doesn't have these incredibly efficient games, the whole offense suffers because he doesn't really do anything off the ball. He kind of just sits at the top of the key and waits for someone to pass the ball to him. And if no one does, he kind of just allows his defender to walk away from him and help on other defensive assignments. Going back to that four versus five thing I talked about before. Regardless of Westbrook's Westbrook game, Harden blew up for 47. And because of the Clippers' lack of offensive creators and high-end depth without having Paul George, it led to Houston kind of pulling out that game. But now with Paul George on the court, I can't see it going the same way. It, it, it's almost impossible to stop Harden, so he's going to blow up for a 40, 50-point game. 
even if he's being guarded by Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, which is insane. But now on the other end of the court, the Clippers can respond. If they're getting easier baskets with Kawhi Leonard and, Le- and Paul George playing on real and kind of capitalizing on Houston's terrible defense so far this season, if the game comes down to the wire or comes down to the fourth quarter, probably is going to be with the Clippers to pull out the game. And the biggest X factor in this is Westbrook because he could have a regular good game, maybe getting a lot of fast break buckets, going 10 to 12 with 10 free throws and not just completely demolishing Houston's offense. And hey, maybe Harden goes off for 100 points and wins the game all by himself. Who knows? It's going to be an incredibly intriguing game, and there's no way I'm going to miss it. So I hope you come there too. Just a reminder, the game goes down on Friday, November 22nd at 7.30 Pacific or 10.30 Eastern Standard Time. And now we're going to take another quick break where we're going to be back with the second quarter. Welcome back, listeners, to the second quarter, which are the games for the more veteran NBA fans. We're going to get more into the weeds and look at the more matchup-focused and intriguing player-slash-team games. We're going to start off with game number one, which is the Boston Celtics playing at the Phoenix Suns on Monday, November 18th at 6 p.m. Pacific or 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, the big reason I chose this game is to see if the Phoenix Suns are for real, specifically to look at the defensive end and see if that's for real, because they're 13th in defensive net rating, like right in the middle of the pack, where they've been bottom two in the last two seasons. And if their defense is for real, they can actually be a low-end playoff team because their defense could match their incredible offense where they're third in net rating now the reason i chose to pick the game against boston is because boston has actually been rolling where at the time of recording they have the best net rating in the league and this has been pumped up by them having the best offensive rating in the league now their offense could completely destroy the sun's defense here or at least show if there are any major weaknesses that we can be aware of especially because the Celtics play a very team-oriented offense, where it's not one ISO player dominating the ball and capitalizing on a weak matchup. It's more of the beautiful game, passing it around, find the open threes, where it can only be really shut down by an efficient and well-executed defense. Now, the matchup to watch in this game is specifically Devin Booker and his matchup against probably Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart is maybe the best point guard, shooting guard defender in the league, with Patrick Beverly being the arguable second best. Now, the reason this is so intriguing is because Booker is actually averaging 25 points a game on 54% shooting from the field, and that being propped up by 51% from three. And he's on track to be the first ever 50-90-50 player, meaning 50% from the field, 90% from the free throw line, and then 50% from three and he's doing this with just under six rebounds per game which is great for his size and position and just under four turnovers a game which is a much more important stat where in previous seasons booker has been pretty devastating on the turnover end for two big reasons one because the phoenix Suns have had nothing to play for so he's been pretty careless with the ball and the second being he's been forced to create the entire sun's offense where they just kind of gave him the ball and that's all it was but now they have ricky rubio which i've been very wrong on i thought he was a terrible addition for the Suns team i just didn't think he was a very good player but he has completely completely changed the dynamic of this team where he's allowed Devin Booker to play off the ball and has shrunk his usage from 34% last year to 28% this year. And this has made him much more efficient because Devin Booker, with all the criticism, is an incredibly efficient shooter. So if he's not being tasked with creating everything and getting all the defensive attention for his team, he's actually able to capitalize on this freedom and make his shot with way higher efficiency. Now, on the Boston side of the game, Kemba Walker has really turned it on. He's leading the team in points with 
with also 25 with 44% from three. So just my Booker in the percentage from three. And he's only turning over the ball twice a game. This goes more into the team style that Boston plays with, where they're not just like in Charlotte, throwing the ball to Kemba and asking him to do everything. And beyond that, players to watch, meaning Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart on that defensive end, where he still actually lights up from 20. So he doesn't sacrifice what he does in the offensive end for being strong on the defensive end. And another guard to watch is Carson Edwards off the bench. He hasn't really been given a lot of chance to shine, but when I watched him in summer league or in little spurts here in the season, he's a stud. And he's a, he was a killer in college. And when he's actually able to play, he's super fun to watch. So if you're as curious as I am about the Phoenix Suns and want to see them tested against an extremely strong Boston Celtics team, well, follow me down on Monday, November 18th at 6 p.m. Pacific or 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to watch this game. Now on to game number two, which is the Utah Jazz visiting the Minnesota Timberwolves on Wednesday, November 20th at 5 p.m. Pacific or 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, the reason I chose this game is both of these teams are actually high potential playoff teams to where both these teams, if everything kind of hits right, can end up being in the top four seed and then lowest top six seed. This is much more realistic for Utah as they've done it in the in the recent past, meaning last season. It has never really happened to Minnesota which makes their extremely hot start propped up by, obviously, Carl Anthony Towns, but less obvious, Andrew Wiggins, that much more impressive. And another thing about these teams is they're actually both starting to break out, really starting to separate themselves from the lower-end teams. Even though it's pretty small sample size, the sample size is big enough now that you can actually discern on what's going on. Starting with the Minnesota side of the ball, they're actually a good team. Just like I said before, they're separating themselves from the bad or lower-end playoff teams, and it's because of their real defense. In a past season, their defense has been dragged down from their star players of Towns and Andrew Wiggins. But this season, the defense from both those players looks real. I have no idea what the new coach, Ryan Saunders, has done to these players. But they are killing it out there. If we look at Towns, he's on something different this season. with playing with almost 30 PER so far, which is absolutely incredible. And then if you look at Andrew Wiggins, his, his performances are consistent enough and strong enough that analysts are finally to start the debate back up of, is he a real player? Is he, does he have superstar potential or is he still a bust? Now, let's look at Andrew Wiggins for one second. So he's actually shooting threes off the dribble and open shots. He's getting to the basket and playing aggressively, which in my opinion is the biggest difference between the last few seasons. He's not really getting to the line very much. That could just be because refs aren't used to calling fouls on him. You saw us back in the day where, where DeRozan, before he became an all-star, was really not being respected by the refs. And after he made his first all-star team and established himself as a top-end player, the refs started calling more shooting fouls on him. So same could be said for Andrew Wiggins. They have similar styles, but Andrew's actually doing the things that we all wish DeRozan would do, which is shooting threes, playing aggressively, and deferring in clutch moments. So he still has to work on his rebounds and assists, where his rebounds should definitely be higher than they are now because of just how big a player he is and how long and athletic. And his assist number should also be propped up. These aren't the BL end all, but it is disconcerting to see him averaging so low assists when he's taking up so much attention on offense. Or if he's creating his own offense, there should be more defenders closing in on him so where he should see the open man be able to pass it out for either a layup, open three, or more efficient offense. But having said all 
all that, he is leaps and bounds above where he's been in his career. And he is a key to the Wolves' success so far. Now, back on the Utah Jazz, they're also like the Minnesota Timberwolves. Their success has been propped up by their defense. This is way less surprising because Utah has been specifically good at defense for a long time. Where they're actually the second best defense in the league, but only by 0.2 points per 100 behind the Lakers. So I would say they're basically tied for the number one defense. On the offensive side, Donovan Mitchell has been superb again, leading his team in scoring with over 40% from the three-point line. And then backing him up is Mike Connolly. And he's actually started to come on in the second half of this early schedule, where he's not blowing up for like 40 or 50 points, but he's playing more like he did in Memphis, where he's not staying in the the single digits or going two for 10 in a game. Because the Utah Jazz do not need him to be the go-to scorer on every down, but they definitely need him to be averaging about 20 points a game if they're expected to go far into the postseason. So this game is just intriguing on the questions for the specific teams to see if it's possible for them to go on, stay on this trajectory, and reach their potential. And beyond this, is going to be incredibly competitive game just because of the talent and quality of basketball involved here. So if you want to see this game, come on down on Wednesday, November 20th at 5 p.m. Pacific or 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And now we're going to take a quick break. Well, we'll be back with the third quarter. So welcome back, listeners, to the third quarter, which are the games for the crazier NBA fans who are interested in the more granular details of the NBA and would suffer through some bad garbage time just to see that two-way contract at the end of the bench get some minutes. We're starting off with game number one, which is the Golden State Warriors playing at the Memphis Grizzlies on Tuesday, November 19th at 5 p.m. Pacific or 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, the reason I chose this game, as you're going to see, is going to be a theme for this whole quarter, is I wanted to see Memphis Grizzlies play in a pseudo-competitive game. As it's pretty easy to see, the Memphis Grizzlies are a pretty terrible team and maybe the worst team in the league, but have a lot of intriguing young talent that is a basis for a very good core going forward. Now, they're playing the Golden State Warriors, who, without their top three of Steph Curry, Jamon Green, and D'Angelo Russell, are basically a G League team. So this game is going to be basically one where you can watch the young guys shine in a meaningless but competitive game, which are not going to be a lot of this season. There'll be a lot of meaningless games, but not a lot of competitive games with this much intriguing young talent. So Memphis's young guys are very fun, even if the team isn't winning. So the top three players that I would say to watch for Memphis is number one, far and away, John Moran. He was the second overall pick just behind Zion Williamson and he's kind of lived up to his expectations so far. He's driving to the hoop with extreme efficiency. His ball handling skills are out of this world. His shooting is hit or miss but it's definitely developing in the right direction and he's already not shying away from from the big moments where he ended up hitting a game winner against Charlotte the other night. The other guy to watch on Memphis' side is Jaron Jackson Jr. He's played a few years in the league now and every year has been the steady progression towards at least on 3-4 and defensive focus player and now I've been watching more Memphis games that I haven't really in the past it's kind of incredible how well he shoots the ball he shoots it way better than I thought way more often than I thought and it's actually a pretty big key part of his game where I just thought he was an athletic finisher and the third guy is a little older than the other two but still part of this young core where he's Dylan Brooks he's a really young stocky and solid guard I get a lot of like Kyle Lowry vibes from him but definitely not as efficient or as complete a player as Kyle Lowry which kind of goes without saying but he definitely has that kind of bulldog body where you can kind of see him guarding positions one through three pretty effectively now the 
Golden State Warrior side, there's really only one player to watch now that D'Angelo Russell kind of went down recently with an injury and has put Golden State basically in a full tank mode. Because beyond him, they've come out statements saying that Draymond Green is going to be resting a lot more and that Steph Curry's basically out for the season with a broken hand. And Klay Thompson, who could have been back and if they made the playoffs like way late in the season, they're definitely not going to risk that. So back to Eric Paschal. Overall, he was just a low pick that they've uh, been able to kind of struck gold with them. If you really want to get a complete picture of his game, I'd recommend going back and seeing their game on November 4th against Portland, where he blew up for 34 points in what is known as the Pascal game. So him going against the lack of defense on the Memphis side and overall kind of zero high-end talent for either team. This game might get very ugly down the stretch, but for the first three quarters should be extremely competitive where you can kind of zone in on each young player's strength and weaknesses against other high potential players that they might be playing on, might be playing against for the long term. But that's kind of it for this game. If you want to watch it again, it's going down on Tuesday, November 19th at 5 p.m. Pacific or 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And it's going to be a very interesting game. So moving on to game number two, and this is going to be the Atlanta Hawks playing at the Detroit Pistons on Friday, November 22nd at 4 p.m. Pacific or 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now the Hawks are extremely fun to watch, especially Trey Young, and that's what I wanted to highlight for this game. This is kind of like the last one where I'm really only watching this for the Atlanta Hawks. And the reason I picked them against Detroit is because Detroit is kind of like a mid-tier team, not really kind of making the playoffs, and are prone to be taken advantage of by high-end talent. So in this, it's kind of a low-risk, high-reward game where you can just focus in on every one of Trey Young's possessions and not really have to care about the other team. So just speaking of Trey Young, in his last 10 games, he's averaging about 24 points a game on 40% overall and 33.3% from three. Now, this doesn't sound like a lot, but he is one of those players you have to watch him live to really understand his impact on the game. Because some of the threes he's taking where he's hitting just over one third of them are from half court. And he's nailing them. Where you can kind of see in the game where he kind of starts off a little slow. And then he just kind of blows up out of nowhere. And you can see he's kind of rolling. And then he starts just having fun out there. Just like Eric Paschal. If you want to get kind of a really cool picture of his game. Go watch the game he had against the Denver Nuggets on Tuesday, November 12th. Where he blew up for 42 points and shot. I'm going to stop for a sec. 62% from three. And if you can imagine that he's hitting well over half his shots. With most of them being very contested, and from over 30 feet out. It's absolutely incredible. And another insane part of his game is that he's been starting to just nutmeg a lot of the NBA guards that are primary assignments on him, especially when they're going one-on-one. -on -one. And it's getting to the point where reporters are asking him about it, and he said he's going to try to make it part of his game because it's that effective for him. Absolutely nuts. So if you're going to look for players past Trey Young on this team, unfortunately, John Collins is out. And if you didn't hear why, it's because John Collins was caught using PEDs. So this has basically become the Trey Young show. But other players that have not been banned for PEDs on the Hawks are DeAndre Hunter, the rookie out of Virginia, along with Jabari Parker, who, if you remember from back in the day, played alongside Giannis, was kind of a bust over there, moved around quite a bit, and now is actually kind of killing it while playing alongside a great talent, Trey Young. Also on the team, is Cam Reddish. He was the three-point specialist who played alongside R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson at Duke. And of course, you cannot forget this guy, Vince Carter, the oldest player to ever play in the NBA and actually is super important to the Hawks in clutch where he's come back and taken these weird zero elevation turnaround three-pointers with no one guarding him for no reason. And it's amazing to watch. 
Just to finish up on the Detroit side of the ball, it's not that fun a team. It's coached by doing Casey with a kind of grinded out style. But if you do want to focus on someone on the team, definitely focus on Derrick Rose. His story is incredibly heartwarming, specifically from how well he's kind of rebounded in the past few seasons. He's definitely not the all-star Hall of Fame talent that he was early in his career. But whenever he kind of goes around to Chicago, he gets MVP chance. He seems like he has athleticism he had early in his career. And he's basically the only offensive engine on this team so you're going to get a lot of highlights from him in this game if you want to see trey young try to nutmeg derrick rose in a game this week come on down on friday november 22nd at 4 p.m pacific or 7 p.m eastern standard time to see that and the final game for this quarter is going to be the Chicago Bulls playing at the Charlotte Hornets on Saturday, November 23rd at 4 p.m. Pacific or 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Just like the other two games, we have one team to watch while their opponents are just bad teams that will give the main team, in this case Chicago Bulls, a chance to shine. We're just going to start with Charlotte, and Charlotte's just bad. It's kind of what they've always been for the past whatever many years. But instead of having Campbell Walker as the thing to watch, you're seeing... Cody Zeller shoot threes and Rozier not really do anything. And just to kind of go into the fundamentals, they are 24th in defensive rating and then 21st in offense. And this equals uh, 26th in overall net rating. So they still have wins over bad teams. And the reason I highlighted them for the Bulls this week is that the last game between the two was a one-point Charlotte win, meaning that this could still be a pretty competitive game, even though the talent on both sides isn't all-star quality. So the two players to watch on the Charlotte Hornets are uh, the second-year backup point guard, Devontae Graham, who's actually leading the team in points over a wildly overpaid Rozier, and is kind of given the go-to in crunch time over their max player. And the other one is the rookie power forward out of Kentucky, P.J. Washington, who's another top three points leader on the team and a player with incredible amount of upside for such a young talent. But on to the real team, the Chicago Bulls. Chicago Bulls record at 4-9 isn't actually a great indicator of how well they've played this season, where they've had to play some actually very tough teams early, like the Bucks, the Rockets, and the Lakers. The bright spot for the team is that they're kind of separating themselves from the actual bottom of the East. In winning games, they probably should uh, against the Grizzlies, Knicks, and Hawks to name a few. We go past their record. We're going to look at the actual players to watch where Zach Levine is one of the top ones because he's taken another step forward offensively and has apparently started to put more emphasis on the defensive end. You've heard a lot in a lot of interviews that he knows that this is his main problem. That and his mid-range game are the kind of two contentious points for him. But he, in interviews with uh, Zach Lowe, for an example, has come out and said that these are points of emphasis that his coach and him have worked on uh, throughout the offseason. I haven't really seen it come to fruition yet, specifically the defensive end. But hey, I guess the Charlotte Hornets, he probably is going to look pretty nasty defensively. So you can see kind of his fundamentals. If he gets really shown up on the defensive end in this game, you know there's a real problem. And of course, the other player to watch is Larry Markkinen, who is kind of rounding out to the player that we all think he's going to be. He seems to be a scoring first big man who's probably too soft defensively to be the starting center on a very good team. So he's kind of more of a Kevin Love type, where when Kevin when Kevin Love was started at center or was even put at center uh, on those Cavaliers teams, they basically punted on having a strong defense, him being in there. But because he's so good on the offensive end, they were able to compensate. And last, but totally not least, the actual main guy to watch in this game is Colby White. The rookie point guard out of North Carolina has had some insane games. 
The best example, if you want to watch his full potential there, is when he set the rookie record in front of his North Carolina coach with the most three-pointers in consecutive games with 13. And those two games were uh, the win over the New York Knicks, where the rookie went 7 of 11, and then the win, and then their loss against the Milwaukee Bucks, where he actually went 6 of 13. His three-point shot still looks a little weird to me. It kind of looks like he's chucking it up instead of it being like a full-flow thing, but if it's going in, it's kind of hard to complain there. It's like when Steph Curry shoots from half-court shots, it's a great shot for him because he actually makes it inefficiently but when Tristan Thompson does a 360 kind of no look shot from half court which did happen in a game and misses it you know it's a bad shot so I kind of hope he's able to get a little more consistent overall uh, in his offensive game with creating more offense for his teammates this will be translated more assists per game and they continue to get to the rim for more efficient shots his outside and mid-range games seem to be kind of rounding out to form and it's kind of his creativity in getting to the rim that I want to see more improvements on and against a team that's 24th in defense the Charlotte Hornets he has definitely a lot of room to try out more creative offense in this game. So if you want to see a nail-biter of a game for the bottom of the East, come on down on Saturday, November 23rd at 4 p.m. Pacific or 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to catch this game. Now we're going to take a quick break or we're going to be back with the fourth quarter. Hey listeners, welcome back. So finally, we've reached the fourth quarter. Thanks again for sticking around with me through this episode. So the two can't-miss games for this week of NBA action are the Boston Celtics playing the Phoenix Suns on Monday, November 18th at 6 p.m. Pacific or 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And the other is the Houston Rockets playing the Los Angeles Clippers on Friday, November 22nd at 7.30 Pacific or 10.30 Eastern Standard Time. Now, just to start off with the Boston game, the reason I chose it is kind of because Phoenix has been rolling so far. And a lot of analysts have kind of been predicting that Phoenix is going to drop off at some point soon and I'd like to capture some of that early season magic where we can kind of see the top form of Devin Booker, Kelly Oubre, and even Aaron Baines before this team kind of comes crashing down. And it's going to be a really big test for them because they're going to be playing against the Boston Celtics who have actually been kind of destroying up-and-coming teams so far this season and have kind of proved that their plug-and-play system doesn't need that far-and-away number one superstar to be effective. So again, you definitely want to catch this game to see basically two rolling teams come clashing together and this going down on Monday, November 18th at 6 p.m. Pacific or 9 p.m. Eastern. Now, the other game is self-explanatory. You hear the two names, the Houston Rockets playing the Los Angeles Clippers. It's going to be incredible. And the big reason for this is because the Clippers are becoming almost actualized. And it's an early part of the season before they've been able to kind of get figured out by other teams. Even on their own, they haven't been practicing together. And Doc Rivers specifically doesn't make his team's practice very much at all so you're going to see a very raw duo of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George trying to figure it out on the fly against an incredibly nasty team in the Houston Rockets and this could be a preview of what we see down the line in late May early June where the Western Conference Finals go down so if you want to see this matchup again it's going down on Friday November 2nd at 7 30 Pacific or 10 30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time now I'm going to break the rules a little bit. There's actually a third game that I cannot let you guys miss. I haven't talked about it at all so far leading into this. And it's kind of an honorable mention. The Boston Celtics, who right now 
just by stats alone, stats and record, are the number one team of the East. And I believe the Clippers are the number one team of the West. Maybe not through record, not through stats, but just because of how they played recently and how I predict their season going. So the Boston Celtics are actually playing against the Clippers on Wednesday, November 20th at 7 p.m. Pacific or 10 p.m. Eastern. And we don't know, just like the Phoenix Suns, how long Boston's run is going to keep going. It could stop after this game, but it could keep going for the whole season. So seeing them early on play at the Clippers at home, maybe dominate them, maybe get destroyed, or maybe this has come down to the wire. Like the amount of talent and storyline in this game was just too much to pass up. So again, your third can't miss game this week, Boston Celtics playing Los Angeles Clippers, November 20th, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. So that's it for this week, listeners. Thanks again for listening to episode five of the NBA Games of the Week. So this has been NBA Games of the Week. You can find us on YouTube at NBA Games of the Week or on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud at the same name, NBA Games of the Week. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at NBA G-O-T-W to stay up to date with the podcast and never miss an episode. And don't worry if you forget any of these. Links to all these places will be in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you all next Monday.